Welcome to New Life Lutheran's podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nlutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe at Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric, or would like to suggest a topic for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric. fourth chapter of the book of Acts. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, If we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who is sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and they recognized them as companions of Jesus. Well, over the past two years and probably a little bit like a month, I've become kind of an expert when it comes to child development. And it's not because I have uh, sought after an advanced degree or read a lot of books. I've just been living it. I have a daughter who's a little over two years old and I have a son who's seven months old with them being that close together, that close proximity. I mean, I have watched it happen right in front of me. And one of the things that's been so interesting about watching them grow up is watching them learn how to walk and move around. I mean, it was very, very exciting because as a dad, that first portion, the laying around and just eating and sleeping, that wasn't for me. I mean, that was not exciting for me. The holding baby thing, not my cup of tea. I wanted to play with them. I wanted them to move. I wanted to do all the things that uh, require the ability to navigate around life. And so once they started doing that, I was very, very excited So my daughter, of course, she's older. She was the first one to start this process. And she started with a simple push-up. And that was exciting because I knew the next step was crawling. Or at least I was hoping that was the next step. And so she went into the push-up position. And then finally she started kind of moving. But there was a problem. For some reason, she was stuck in reverse. So she would only crawl backwards. And then she would run into the wall. She'd run into a chair. She'd get very, very upset. And we started getting concerned. Like, what is wrong with our kid? She only crawls backwards. Is she going to be able to do the things that she needs to do to survive in life, right? So anyways, I got down on my hands and knees because I was certain I could show her the way. And so I crawled forward and said, this is how you crawl forward so you don't run into stuff. You could actually see where you're going. That didn't really work. I think my dogs honestly probably taught her better than I did just simply by walking around her. 
But finally, after a while, she went into first gear, second gear, third gear, and she was crawling around the house. The next, the next step was standing. So she would stand, and then she'd fall over. She'd stand, she'd take a step, then it was two steps, then three steps. And now she walks, she runs, she dances. It's, it's quite amazing. But she had to go through that developmental process. Now, my son, he's seven months old, and he's been moving a little bit faster than she has. So the first thing, of course, was that little push-up, right? So that was exciting. We, we knew it well. We knew the next step was crawling. But we didn't know how fast it was going to happen. Because he literally went from push-up to a little side shuffle to all of a sudden we were in our bedroom one day talking, and all of a sudden he was in the bedroom too, even though we had put him in the living room. I mean, we hadn't seen him crawl. He just all of a sudden figured out and was all the way through the house into the living or the bedroom. It was very kind of scary. Well, now he's at the stand-up stage, right? So he's trying to stand. He's trying to balance. He's falling on his head way too often. But that's where he's at. But see, if you have had kids or no kids or really you've experienced life, you know that to walk requires a certain step, a certain process, you don't just stand up one day and walk around. You have to learn to do a push-up, learn to crawl, learn to stand, learn to take that first step, and then finally you start walking around. Well, last week we started a new sermon series called Everyday Evangelism. And we've been talking about maybe some of these baby steps for you to be able to share your faith. Because here's the truth. We have an amazing faith, an amazing faith. It gives us purpose in life. It gives us perspective on life. And the most important thing, it gives us a personal relationship with the God of the universe that we can have in this life and we can have in eternity, a place where there's no pain and no sorrow. And who wouldn't want that? But that's where the trick comes in. How do we hand that gift to people? How do we do it well? And are we all able to do that? And I think the answer is yes. So we've been looking through the book of Acts, and we've been seeing people actually handing their faith, handing this truth off to people in very, very, very simple ways. So if you missed last week, you can catch back up. You can go to our website or listen to our podcast and get connected because there's nine steps, okay? Nine steps, and I don't want you to miss a single one, okay? So if you missed last week, go catch up. We'll be on to step two today. But this is what we're going to step into today. We're going to step into an amazing story about Peter and John, and it's recorded in the book of Acts, the fourth chapter, and this is how it begins. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. So we step into this piece of history, and there is a literal who's who of Jewish people all gathered in one room. I mean, if you would have stumbled onto this, you would have thought, this is amazing. Something significant is happening, and there was. And to get a clue of what was happening, we see it right away. It says, the next day. So something happened the day before that caught all these guys' attention and took all their valuable time, and they thought it was worth it to gather together to have a conversation and to have a discussion. Well, this is what has just transpired. You see, just before this chapter, we see John and Peter, two disciples of Christ, and they're going to the temple, which was the main gathering place of the Jewish faith. And so they're going to the temple, and as they're walking in, they stumble upon this guy, this guy who was begging. 
And the reason he was begging is because he was never able to walk. He's 40 years old. He never, ever, ever was able to walk. So he never went through his developmental stages. He just was born this way. And because of that, the only way that he could have enough money to feed himself was to beg. And so people would bring him there and he would ask people as they walked into the temple for their generosity. Do you have silver? Do you have gold? Can you offer me something to help me survive? And people would give him resources so he could survive. Well, two of those people that were walking past him were Peter and John. And he looks up at them and he says, do you have silver or gold? And they say, no, but we have something else for you. We want you to get up and stand. And amazingly enough, this guy does. He stands, but he doesn't just stand. He doesn't go from a push-up position to standing, to falling or taking a first step. He goes right to running and jumping. Amazing, an amazing, amazing, undeniable miracle. But as all miracles go, it's not just a way to do a good deed or do something amazing. There's always word attached. There's always the truth of God attached. And so as people gather because they want to see the spectacle, Peter and John are there. And so they start proclaiming the truth of Christ. And people are amazed by the miracle. They're amazed by the teaching. And it catches some attention. In fact, it catches the attention of the religious leaders in that day. And they aren't too excited about these guys talking about Jesus in their temple. I mean, that was not to be accepted. And so they get all worked up. And so what do they do? These guys call their bosses. They call their leaders. And all these leaders gather together to figure out what to do. And this is what happens next. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? So by the way, this was the result. When Peter and John spoke about Jesus, they got thrown into prison. So at this point in time, they were prisoners. So they bring these guys out and they start questioning them. They said, how did you pull this off? How did you pull off this miracle? Was it a deception? Was it illusion? Were there two guys that look alike? Are you using some sort of dark arts? I mean, what is happening here? And so Peter responds. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who is sick and are asked how this man has been healed. Now I know I'm stopping at a kind of an awkward point, but I think it's important to understand how Peter begins. So they asked Peter how he did this. And Peter right away wants to clarify what their concern is. He says, are we talking about a good deed? Is that what we're worked up about? Are we worked up about a guy who's never been able to walk walking? Because that doesn't seem like something that we should be thrown into prison for. It doesn't seem like something that anyone should be upset about. I mean, we did something good. So is, is that the problem or is there something deeper that's concerning you? Is there something deeper that's bothering you that actually made you think that you need to throw us into prison for whatever act that we did? And so he goes on to clarify, let it be known to all of you. And to all the people of Israel, that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And so he begins to clarify, this is where the power came from. It came from Jesus Christ. 
of Nazareth. He was very clear. This is the guy, you know who I'm talking about. And Jesus did something good. And so Peter starts setting up this, this heavy contrast of what has transpired. He says, Jesus did this. This was good. It's undeniable. Everyone saw it. This was a very, very good thing. No one said it was a bad thing. Jesus did something that was good. But then Peter gets really bold and he points to the alternative, the bad thing, and says, you leaders, you elites, you rulers, you elders, you high priest, you crucified Jesus. You killed the good one. You killed the good guy in this story. And it was true. These were the leaders. These were the influencers. These were the guys who stirred the pot, got the crowd all worked up, got the Romans on their side to do their bidding to kill Jesus. So after setting this heavy contrast, Peter proves his point. He doesn't just say, Jesus is good and and you're bad. He says, look whom God decided with. Look whom God sided with, right? God made the ultimate decision because look at what God did. Now they had heard the rumors. Maybe they'd even seen the appearances. They had probably explained them away, kind of like they probably explained away this, this miracle in their mind because it didn't fit their narrative. But God chose Jesus. God chose Jesus and rose him from the dead. And he walked around and proved to people that he was back, that he was who he said he was. And then Peter continues. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. Now, when Peter said this, this would have caught their attention because Peter was just a simple guy, a fisherman, right? As far as they were concerned, but he starts quoting from the Bible. Specifically, he quotes from the Old Testament because that's what was recorded at that time, right? The New Testament was be, was, wasn't written yet because they were living it. But what Peter does is he quotes from the book of Psalms. Psalm 118, 22. It's a direct quote. How could this fisherman know that? How could this fisherman make this correlation? This was amazing. And then he points to the truth. That Jesus, even though you had him killed, He is the core of the faith. He's the point of the faith. He's everything that you've been talking about and everything that you've been pointing to. He's actually here. He is the crux of everything that we must hold on to. So Peter continues. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. So Peter points to a very significant truth. He says, these guys, these leaders, these influencers, Jesus is the cornerstone. And not only is Jesus the cornerstone, but this is what this means. That if you believe in him, if you have faith in him, that you are saved. That's the bottom line. And he says this, and he asked them a question, essentially, who do you think Jesus is? A question that Jesus asked oftentimes with his disciples and his followers, who do you say that I am? This is a question for all peoples at all times. A question that we need to answer. Who do we say Jesus is? And Jesus had that answer, right? This isn't something new. Peter was basically just echoing a truth that, that Jesus said. In John fourteen six, we see this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father 
except through me. So when that question goes out to us, when that question went out to them, who is Jesus? The only biblical answer has to be that Jesus is the son of God, that he took on flesh, that he lived among us. He showed us how to live. He taught us. And then he made the ultimate and perfect sacrifice for our sins and died on the cross. The only sacrifice that could truly work. He died on the cross for our sins that if we have faith in this one person, this one God in flesh, that we can have eternal life. So Peter goes on. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. Now, this is where we get kind of to the, the core of our conversation today. See, Peter and John, they're out there and they're professing, and this catches their attention. But what's so interesting is what didn't catch their, catch their attention. You see, before this, we saw a man, 40 years old, had never walked, running and jumping and leaping. He didn't have to go through the developmental stages of learning how to walk. He was just healed. And not just healed, he was athletic instantly. But that did not amaze them. It amazed the people, but it didn't amaze the leaders. It didn't amaze the leaders because it was outside their box that they were willing to accept. And because of that, they tried to explain it away. But this moment... They could not explain away. These simple guys, these fishermen, how were they so educated? How were they so smart? How was their knowledge of scripture on pace with these religious elites? How was it maybe even above and beyond the knowledge of this religious elites? I mean, this amazed them. And the only explanation they had was Jesus. For three years, they had spent every second with Jesus, and something must have rubbed off along the way. Something must have actually been internalized along the way. And for them, this blew their minds. And this takes us to the next step in everyday evangelism. A simple and practical way that we can share our faith and learn to share our faith well, and this is what it is this morning. I'm asking you to be an educated uneducated person. See, I love, I love the disciples. I love specifically Peter and John because this is exactly who they were. I mean, they were everyday people, just like you, just like me, just like a lot of the people that we mingle with and talk with. I mean, these are truck driving, plaid wearing, tackle box carrying, bush light drinking guys. These are who these guys are. And I love them. And they spent three years with Jesus and it radically transformed their lives. It radically transformed how they saw life, interpreted life, and it it radically transformed what they knew. And this is what made them so convincing. And I believe that even today, this is what could make us so convincing. Now you might not own a truck. You might not have a single piece of plaid. You might not own a tackle box and maybe you've never had a beer. That's obviously not the point. But the world kind of sees us this way, doesn't it? The world looks at Christianity and thinks, oh, it's just a crutch. It's just a way that people uh, navigate life emotionally or something. It's, it's a tool they use, even though they know it's not true. Or at least maybe they have, they have faith in faith, but they don't really have faith in fact. But we know that's not true, right? 
because we actually spent a whole bunch of weeks talking about proof, right? We talked about how our faith is not just a faith in feeling. It's not just a faith in faith. It's a faith in fact. It's a faith in proof that we actually have something that we hold on to. That the claims of Christ and the reality of Christ, that that actually is, is verifiable. That we can actually hold on to those things. You see, the disciples changed the world. These simple guys who spent three years with Christ changed the world. And I believe we can too. And I don't think it's that complicated. You see, we carry these titles around. Christian, follower of Christ, disciple of Christ. All these monikers, they boil down to the same thing, that we are to be like Christ, we are to understand Christ's teaching. Which isn't that complex, right? But it does require some effort. You see, if we want to be like Christ, we have to understand the words of Christ. We have to understand and know the story of Christ so it can actually influence and change us. And that's where the difficulty comes in because that requires time. That requires effort. Maybe it requires giving up something on your schedule to get involved in a Bible study or life group. Maybe it it means shoving that TV show off to the side to read your Bible. And I know those things are hard. I know there's very, very important things on your schedule. So this is what I want to do for you today. I want to make it even more simple for you. You see, Pastor Eric and I sat down this week and we, we put a special insert into your bulletin. And on there it says everyday education. And what those things are, there's five things on there. And they are podcasts, which are like radio programs that you can digest on your schedule when you want, whenever it's convenient for you, wherever you are. So here's the beauty of the modern day is that you actually can learn about the Old Testament. You can learn about the New Testament. You can learn about Jesus. There's actually a specific New Life Lutheran podcast that Pastor Eric and I and and Pastor Phil, we dialogue back and forth about some different things that you can learn about. Our sermons are on there. And here's what makes podcasts so great. If you have a phone, you have a tablet, you have a computer, this means that you have access to it whenever you want. You just pop your headphones in or you pop your speaker in. You can listen to it while you're combing your hair in the morning, while you're brushing your teeth, while you're driving to your busy schedule, driving back from your busy schedule. You can do it while you're mowing. All these opportunities to have Jesus speaking into your life during your life. I mean, that's kind of what the disciples did, didn't they? For three years, they ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner with Jesus. They lived life with Jesus, and he just poured into them. And in the end, they amazed even the elites. And in the end, they transformed the world. And I believe that today, we have that same potential. If we take on the mantle of Christ, we learn about Christ, we live like Christ, I believe that we can transform the world through everyday evangelism. 